Hi, I'm Melissa Corkum. I blog at our family website, www.thecorkums.com, which we affectionately call The Corkboard. This is the Uncorked Podcast, conversations with everyday extraordinary people, people who have conquered, people making a difference in their worlds, brave and beautiful people, but people who in the end are just like you and me. If there's one thing I've learned over the past 10 years, it's about how much I didn't know that I didn't know and how much I still don't know. Our experiences and adoption and loving kids who have aged out of the foster care system, living in the country but owning a coffee shop in the city, and just traveling internationally have so greatly expanded our horizons and shifted our paradigms. And hopefully we're better humans for it. The one common theme through all of those experiences though was just listening to people's stories. Patty Dye once said, the shortest distance between two people is a story. So pull up a chair and an open mind and meet another one of my everyday extraordinary friends. Welcome to episode 28 of the Uncorked podcast. This week, I bring you another superhero of a mom. Naomi Quick has six kids under eight, all homeschooled. Okay, let that sink in. Six little humans under the age of eight who are all home all day long. Naomi writes at her blog, 127living.com. She's also an author and a speaker. We chat about how she judged me the first time she heard me speak and how we both have moved on from being those judgy, holier-than-thou mamas. She has some wise words to offer folks who are still in the waiting stage of their adoption. Here's my conversation with Naomi. Hey, Naomi. Welcome to the Uncorked Podcast. Hi, Melissa. Thank you so much for having me. I'm honored to be here. Yeah, so... How are you? What's going on? Crazy busy, but good. <laughs> I'm trying to keep up with six kiddos, eight and under is always, you know, a challenge, but an exciting one. So I'm kind of on the tail end of the school year with cabin fever happening and the roundabouts of sickness, but hanging in there, keeping everybody alive. <laughs> hey, so. alive is a win. We call alive right? a win in our house. So this will air a month from now, but right now as we're recording, we are geographically in a similar area and we just experienced a really intense nor'easter. Uh, so how did you guys fare? We did pretty good. Um, no damage really around our house at all. So uh, we had stuff blowing around in the backyard. The kids thought it was great. Talked a lot about the long winter. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with the, the Laura Ingalls book, yeah, but um, of course. You know, we, <laughs> we talked about that and how much different it is here than Minnesota, where my husband's family is from. But it, we, we did pretty good. How about you guys? Yeah, we did all right. Did you guys get like real, did you get snow or anything? We literally just got wind. I mean, I think it yeah. snowed for like a hot second, but nothing like to write home about. It wasn't, it wasn't the long winter for sure. It was just really windy. Yeah, yeah here too. Hoping for snow tomorrow, though. <laughs> so. Yeah, I have mixed feelings about it, I'll be honest with you. Um, I feel like this winter, we're in the mid-Atlantic area, and we got a lot of snow days, if you will, but they were really ice days, a lot of them, mm-hmm. and none of them produced like a solid sledding day. So we got a lot of like nasty weather, a lot of cooped up kids, but it wasn't like the kind of fun where you can be like... And it's freezing cold outside, but look at all that fun snow. And the kids weren't, like, trying to get bundled up and go outside. It was just, like, nasty and wet and icy and not enough snow to do anything with. So instead of them running out all their energy in the snow, 
they were just home from school. Well, I have one in school, and or you know our co-op or homeschool community or whatever was closed or ninja warrior practice, like all the things that we do to run off energy were all closed, and then we were also stuck inside. Absolutely, definitely could have used a good, you know, at least snowman amount of snow. <laughs> Yeah, so here's hoping for tomorrow, although my daughter has, like, this appointment that we've been waiting for for forever, and I just I feel really bad for her because she has a situation where going to the appointment tomorrow is going to give her something that will solve this problem, mm-hmm. and she might not get it after, like, months and months of waiting. <laughs> so That is so hard. It is so hard. Waiting is hard in general, but I can't imagine, you know, being a kid who's waiting for something like that to have it kind of hung in the balance this evening. Is it going to snow? Is it going to ice? Is it not going to do either? We, we just don't know. I know. Honestly, yeah. I think I'm more stressed about it than she is. She's a really great kiddo. But, yeah, anyway. So you mentioned you have six kiddos. You're homeschooling. What else should we know about your family? And, and they're all under eight, in case anyone missed you slip that in there. <laughs> well, eight and under. So my oldest and youngest are actually, they share a birthday. So... They were born exactly six years apart, and then everybody else falls in between. So our children have been adopted through the foster care system, and the rest are homegrown. And it is a busy household. I work from home, um, writing, doing speaking engagements, and running with an MLM. And um, I homeschool my kids and try to keep up with housework in my spare time. (laughs) Yeah. I just had this thought as I was, I record in my little bedroom studio office slash whatever, and I was looking at two baskets of unfolded, unput away laundry that belonged to my husband and I, and I was just thinking he's going to walk in tonight, and he doesn't normally care, but I feel like I always have to have like an excuse like, oh, I was so busy, I didn't get to that today. And I don't know why this has never occurred to me before, but I looked at it tonight and I was like putting, getting my story together in my head. And we did have kind of a long day, but not that I haven't had seven or eight other days to do this. Um, but I realized like that's such a lie. Like I wasn't too busy to do it. I just didn't, I just don't want to do it. <laughs> and I just keep saying like, oh, like I just didn't get around to that today. And I'm like, I should just come out and be completely honest. Like I'm, I just don't want to. And so I'm just sorry, it's just not folded, and I wasn't too busy. Like, if I really wanted to do it, I mean, how long does, like, a tub of, a medium tub of adult laundry take? I don't know, like, five minutes to fold and put away. But the fact of the matter is, I just, I don't want to do it. I'm not making time for it at all. I did 100 million other things today that I could have not done and folded laundry. I hear you. You know, it's all about priorities, wherever we... (laughs) But whatever we decide is priority for that day is what we do. And sometimes what we don't want to do, we end up pushing aside. And sometimes it's just harmless as a basket of laundry. And other times, you know, it's more important stuff. So I say if you're going to let something slide for that long because you just don't want to deal with it, a basket of laundry is really, you know, not a big deal. <laughs> it could be worse. Sometimes it's feeding my people. So. Yeah, see now that that one can get you in trouble. Laundry in a basket, not so much. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I hear you. Um, what's your least favorite thing to do in the household variety? The least favorite thing to do is probably unrolling wet and or dirty clothing that people have balled up to put into the washer. <sighs> I don't I unroll mine. I don't think I unroll really? mine. See, I'm I'm afraid of what would happen if I didn't because I'm whatever is in there 
isn't going to get washed out. I run the longest cycle that I possibly can on my washer just to cover that, just in case. Smart woman. Like It's like a two-hour cycle. It's stupid. It's really dumb. But <laughs> I find that because we use uh, – one of the things we use in our laundry is OxyClean, and I find that it needs a little bit of time to work all the stuff out. And so the longer the clothes are underwater, hot, sudsy water preferably, then the cleaner mm-hmm. they get. So that's been a really helpful thing for me. Plus, I mean, let's be honest, no one gets the laundry out after it's done anyway, like right after. So, I mean, what's the difference between 45 minutes or two hours? Um, So you work from home, writing and speaking. So in a word or two, what is your main topic of what you're writing and speaking about? The focus would be faith, family, and adoption. So I really... Yeah, those are the, the three areas that I focus on. Um, I have all these questions about speaking because it's one of the things that I want to kind of enjoy. I do enjoy it. I always have stage fright as I'm starting to do it, but then once I kind of hit my stride, I really do enjoy it. Um, mm-hmm. So I want you to tell the funny story. I don't know if this is actually funny. I'm probably setting it up way wrong. But I think we first met where, somewhere where I was actually a speaker and you were in the audience and – what I love about you is that when we met the second time, you told me that you remembered me speaking, and you were gracious enough to be honest with me about what you thought in that <laughs> moment when you were hearing me speak. And so I think that's important. Yes. So I don't know. Do you just want to tell that story? Because <laughs> it's, it's sure. good. And, and be completely honest. You're not going to hurt my feelings. I think it's <laughs> legit. It, it needs to be heard. <laughs> Sure. So I remember it as clear as it was yesterday. It was the Joy for the Journey uh, like retreat. And we had just started the process of adopting in June of that year. And I think, if I'm not mistaken, the retreat was in like September or October. And you had taken the stage and you're so stinking cute. Like you just emanate like this bubbliness when you're on stage. So your stage fright comes across as being very enthusiastic, just so you know. So you started oh, talking. It's all nervous <laughs> <I> remember, energy. <laughs> yeah. Well, it doesn't look nervous, though. It just looks energetic. You know, I'm not sure if you I, – I, back then, I wasn't familiar with the doTERRA, like, you know, the peace and motivate and all that. I'm not sure if they had it, but it, it looked to me like you had rolled on to motivate and you were ready to go. So, <laughs> oh, that's so um, sweet. I don't even need, I don't even know if I had oils back then, but I should have been using them if I had them. <laughs> we all should have. Melissa, hindsight is twenty twenty. <laughs> but you started talking about your adoption, well, all of your adoptions actually, and about how at one point your little guy would get up in the morning and you would hear his footsteps and you'd think, oh no, he's up. And I sat in the audience and I thought, I don't know how anyone could ever feel that way. Certainly, I'm not going to feel that way. And you just, you kept on going with your story about how it took a really long time, at, well, what seems long to me, sitting in the audience waiting for my kid to come home thinking, when my child comes home, I'm going to love him and he's going to love me. And, you know, it will be this magical moment that we waited for for so long and he's going to feel so safe and loved and we're going to bond and hug and you know, it's going to be amazing. And I, you know, I knew logistically it was going to be challenging, but I really, truly believed that love would conquer all. 
And so as you were talking, I was listening, but at the same time I was thinking, okay, how do I not allow that to happen? Like, I'm pretty sure that I just won't ever have that reaction, but, you know, what can I do to make sure that it doesn't happen? And you got kind of further into your story and and were revealing how, you know, eventually (laughs) you were more bonded, but there were things that needed to happen to help your little guy self-regulate and help, you know, him kind of settle into home and help you settle into him being at home because there was just more like adoption is more like a marriage, I think, than the birth of a biological child in that both people come into it with their own history. Both people come into it with their own perceptions of things and their own realities and their own, even their own biological makeup, um, as opposed to when you give birth to a child and they've been with you since conception. You know, it's just very different. Um, I think that what I love so much about the way you were addressing that is that when we got to the point where our son had come home with our first adoption, things went pretty smoothly. It was a, it was a pretty easy transition. He had a little bit of that, you know, honeymoon phase and then testing the boundaries. But it was it was easy to um, identify with some of the things that he was feeling. It was easy to read him. And I, I remember even thinking back on your talk and thinking, yeah, okay, this is good. I, I'm glad I got this right. You were like, she's second. crazy. Yeah, I was like, I have no idea what she's talking about. Yeah. Well, did, when you were sitting in the audience, you had, did you have biological children already? So you'd been a mother. Oh, yes. yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. I had and, three. Yeah, and I can imagine, like, our attachment journey with our kids that were born to us from scratch was really different. And so I can imagine my pre-adoptive mom self sitting in a conference like that, thinking about the feelings that came very quickly for our first two children and thinking, that lady's crazy. Like, and and probably thinking, like, what an awful mom. <laughs> yeah, you know, I don't recall thinking you were an awful mom. I just recall thinking... She must be one of those moms who's like always talking about how she needs time out with her girlfriends. Because to this point yeah. in my life, I was not one of those people. I was always like, who are all these people who just like need their time? Like, what is me time? What? And self-care wasn't even a buzzword back then. But, you know, it was more of this whole, you know, I need girls night out. I just need time for myself. And I, I always had kind of a misconception of what that was really about. I viewed it as being selfish because I didn't mind being home with the three kiddos that I had. Quite frankly, they were easy in comparison to some of the things that we've experienced since then. But, you know, so I figured, I was like, well, she probably, you know, just is is more of a detached style of mom than I am. And so I apologize because I was so judgy. Oh, my goodness. Hey, dude, we've all been there. I've done it. I've, I think that's the beauty of this journey is there was so much that God had to teach me. And in some ways, you know, the kiddos who I've had to fight for a relationship with, you know, there's so much beauty in that. And, it, and you don't take it for granted. You know, I never take those relationships with my kids from hard places for granted because we've walked through so much and we fought for every beautiful piece of their story and so this journey has not been about rescuing them at all I mean obviously they are in a different place than they would have been had they not been adopted I don't even use the word better anymore because I just think 
I don't know. Um, I don't even know anymore. Mm-hmm. But it has certainly been a personal journey for me. And I know my husband, too, and our kids, and all of our kids. Um, so, yeah, we don't take that lightly at all. And, dude, I am, like, the judgiest person in the world. So I think it's just <laughs> it's God's sense of humor to I think it's you know, so give me all to... the kids <laughs> that I judged in the past. <laughs> <laughs> right? It's like before you're a mom at all and you're walking through Target and you see the mom struggling with a kid screaming in the front of the cart and she's handing them food that hasn't been purchased yet and you're thinking, oh, that kid just needs more discipline. Oh, Lord. I had, I didn't have a clue because, you know, a couple of years into this gig of parenting kiddos from hard places and just raising kids in general, you know, <laughs> more discipline is not always the answer. It does not yeah. always work that way. So, Amen. so, so you had your first, you did your first adopt foster to adopt, and you mm-hmm. had a little guy who it went pretty much like you were expecting, more or less. More or less, more or less. I mean, there were definitely more challenges than I think I was mentally prepared for. And for me, um, both of our adoptions, what I learned was that fundamentally, what's missing kind of in the adoption and foster care training world is addressing the emotional, spiritual, and mental health of prospective and current foster and adoptive parents. To me personally, what that what that looked like was dealing with hurt and um, rejection and trauma from my past um, before bringing trauma and hurt and rejection into our home in the form of little people who didn't know how to express it because one thing that that they're finding is obviously trauma triggers trauma. And so when you're dealing with someone else's hurt and pain and rejection and that comes out through hurting people and rejecting people and traumatizing people and you haven't dealt with that in your own life, then, you know, it makes it a lot more challenging. It makes it a lot harder to help your child walk through those issues and to healing if you've not done that yourself. And so um, when our second little guy came home, our family dynamics had kind of shifted because after our first adoption, we had another biological child. And so um, we had five kiddos in our home when he joined our family, and it triggered our other son who we had adopted. And it, it also triggered one of our biological children who had experienced some kind of secondary trauma from our son's uh, past and some of his behaviors that were related to it. And there just came a time where it wasn't even necessarily either of our kiddos' behaviors, but just the sheer amount of trauma that was kind of being dealt with in our home, where I remember one morning hearing, (laughs) literally hearing footsteps and thinking, oh, no, it's... (laughs) 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 You're up. And I... I wasn't in bed anymore. I was sitting on the couch trying to do my quiet time. And I remember feeling so convicted because I was like, Jesus, I'm trying to spend time with you. And here I am dreading my kiddo coming out to greet me in the morning and like, you know, feeling like, Jesus, I'm so sorry because I want to spend time with you, but I want to do it on my terms. And I realized that kind of the whole mindset that I had been fighting against, which is children are a burden. So that's something that I think our society really projects very strongly is that children are a burden. You know, you need to make sure that you've got X amount of money in the bank account and X number of square feet in your house and, 
you know, you've got to make sure that you've reached your career goals and maintained, you know, what you want as far as keeping up with the Joneses before you have any kids or have, you know, your 2.5 or whatever it may be. And so I always, you know, my husband and I, before we even married, we're like, you know, we really want to change that dynamic in our life and in the lives of the people around us. You want, we want to encourage people to have a biblical view of children, that they're a blessing, not a burden. And in that moment, I realized that I had actually made that flip in my own mindset where I was feeling burdened in my motherhood instead of seeing my children as a blessing that they were. And so when I saw you at the summit last year, I was like, I just have to tell you the story because, you know, <laughs> five seconds after I apologized to Jesus, I had like this mental flashback to your talk and I thought, there's hope. <laughs> Even though I feel this way right now, you know, I know, I know that other people have been here. And the, the guilt that I was feeling was quickly relieved by knowing that, you know, there are other people who have walked this path and this journey and that there's a really real reason why a lot of the time adoptive moms especially get to the point where we're like, oh, no, it's, the day is already starting. You know, like, we're back at it again because it's exhausting. Parenting in the trenches, so to speak, it's exhausting. And trying to find kind of that reprieve with Jesus and allow him to refill us so that we've got anything at all to offer is, you know, critical. So Yeah. <laughs> well, and true confession, you know, I don't know how long ago that was when I was speaking there. I'm trying to count back. I think it was 2013. Mm -hmm. I mean, so we're talking like five years ago. To this day, we still have a household rule where our youngest may not get out of bed until I come and get him because I was so sick of that feeling of not knowing when I'd hear those footsteps and I really needed control. I mean, this is like the bad theme of my life is I need to control everything. But I felt like this was one area that I could control and it was such a simple thing that made such a huge difference in how the whole tone of the day started that if I could pull myself together and get myself mentally and emotionally prepared to be the best connected parent that he needed, then I was mm -hmm. going to have to be ready to see him in the morning. And so even today we went to a practitioner visit and she was like, so like how much sleep do you get? Or what he, I think she asked like, when does he go to bed? And, and he goes, well, mom puts me to bed at such and such a time and she doesn't get me up until nine, but I don't sleep that whole time. <laughs> I was like, oh gosh, oh gosh. Um, but anyway, yeah. So even, yeah, even to this day, all these years later, we're still doing the like, stay in bed and lay quietly and wait until mom's ready to start the day. <laughs> but, see, but you found a solution that works for him and works for you. And apparently he's catching on to it, but... <laughs> You know, I think that that's kind of, isn't that the key to life in general is finding ways to adapt to our circumstances and, you know, do whatever we need to do to make sure that we're honoring God and loving other people well and figuring out, you know, how how to do that in light of whatever we're given, you know? Yeah, absolutely. So your blog, were you doing that before your adoptions? Is that something you've always been passionate about? So I started blogging um, when we started our adoption journey the first time um, to kind of fill people in on what we were doing and the process. And I naively thought that since there are so many children waiting for a good home and we were willing to take a sibling group, I thought for sure we would be matched really quickly. And so my thought 
when I started was, you know, I'll, I'll walk people through this process so that they know how simple it is to apply and do the training and that kind of thing, and then they'll see, you know, how quickly you get matched, and then we'll be able to share this beautiful story. And what it turned into was 18 months of writing about, you know, not being chosen at PPC or not not being chosen because we had three young children in our home. I mean, at the time, we had three kids, three and under. And so doesn't make you insanely popular with social workers. They're like, whoa, these people have their hands full. <laughs> like, you just we're tapping them out as the last resource. <laughs> yeah, but you just didn't apply Murphy's Law the right way because so we're like the opposite. We went in to an adopt our last adoption open to siblings, just like you, and we were thinking this is going to take forever because we we were adopting internationally at the time. And we had just been told that Ethiopia's adoption process was slowing way, 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 way down. And so my husband was finishing up a seminary degree, and he still had about two more years left. And we were hearing like three to five year waits for Ethiopia. People were flipping out. And so I just said to him, you know, we kind of were like, well, what if we just apply now? You know, like if we know it's three to five years, like we're not in a rush. Like we'll just put our application in and you can finish up seminary and we'll just you know, whatever God's timing is. And like legitimately we were matched within 24 hours of turning our paperwork in because the match time, the match time was where the slowdown was. But apparently if you're not waiting for like a healthy two-year-old and you're open to a sibling group and you're open to older kids, which was our story, there were plenty of those. So the match, the wait was in the match time. And because we had that kind of, open request, there wasn't a wait time there. So we literally were in Ethiopia like um, like four and a half weeks after we turned our paperwork in. That is crazy. Yeah. So if you, that's the thing is we were just, we were hoping for like the three to five year wait <laughs> and we got yeah, like see, the three to funny? five week situation. <laughs> yeah. See, God writes stories so much better than we can, doesn't he? I mean, I know. <laughs> they're always so wildly different. Then yeah. we might write for ourselves. But, um, so anyway, it, so you were in for a long wait. Yes. So I continued to write because I found it kind of a stress reliever. It was hard to find people to share with directly who understood. It was usually kind of like this smile and nod response, like, you know, a holiday would roll around and I'd be like, I just want my child home, you know, like grieving really the loss of a person we'd never met and having these big emotions and um, expectations and it was hard for people not walking that path to kind of identify with. And so I was like, well, I'll just write and put it out there. And then, you know, if people respond, they respond. And if they don't, you know, I don't even know. I don't even know what people are thinking about it. And so I did know what people were thinking about it. And I had a lot of people saying, I'm glad, glad that you're writing about this part of it because the wait is really so hard. It's so hard to not know. And I think that really, you're not the only one who really likes control. I think that as humans, we crave control. And I think it's usually rooted in not feeling super secure and wanting to make sure that we can kind of obtain that for ourselves. But God's plan for us is so much bigger than that, that I think it's not that he delights in seeing us afraid, but I think that he likes to put us in positions where we are acutely aware that us 
struggling for control is all just an illusion. And he, ultimately, when we surrender to him, that's where the real freedom is. That's where our real security is. It's actually in opening our hands and letting go instead of holding on as tightly as we can and trying to make everything fit, you know, the way we're comfortable with or the way we think it should go. And so kind of in the midst of that unknown of waiting, as I was kind of pouring my heart out, I found that there were people who were like, I can identify with that. I can't, I couldn't necessarily put it in those words, but like that's, that's what my heart has been feeling too, or that's, that's what we were feeling while we were waiting. And so after our son came home, his, his homecoming was like so miraculous. It was just totally a God thing. And we found out that he was going to be coming home five days before Christmas. So our, our announcement was literally like our, we bought um, a tree skirt that said, for unto us a son is given. And I just posted it and then like waited for people to figure it out. And it didn't take long, but we just continued to share about then the realities of what adopting a toddler with toddlers in your home looks like. Because again, not something I had Googled. How do you adopt a toddler with toddlers? Like how do you help a toddler who's verbal but not necessarily understanding what he's saying <clears throat> to bond with other kids who are nonverbal and verbal but, you know, only have 25, 30, 40 words in their vocabulary. Like, how do you help little people <laughs> who have big emotions and strong wills and big personalities all learn to coexist? And there wasn't a whole lot. There weren't a whole lot of people at that point who were adopting toddlers with toddlers in the house. And so I was like, well, I guess I'll keep writing in case anybody else is Googling it. <laughs> and it just kind of kept going from there. Yeah, I love that. And that whole weight journey situation turned into a book for you, didn't it? It did. So last January, I self-published my book, um, Don't Waste Your Weight, Embracing the Journey of Bringing Your Child Home. And in it, I share um, some of the blog posts from my original blog um, and from our period of waiting, and then also some practical uh, tips and steps that people can take to steward their weight well um, so that they're spending that time investing in, you know, preparing their heart and home for welcoming a child into it. Yeah. So for folks that are listening who either know someone who's waiting or maybe they're waiting themselves, what do you tell them? What do you tell waiting people? I tell them to make the conscious decision to embrace this season as a gift from God that it is. Because it's really easy to get caught up in who is missing instead of embracing that time as the time that we actually need to um, prepare and pray and, and heal and, you know, experience the fullness of who God is and kind of allow him to lead us in what he wants us to be doing during that season. And I think when we... When we place too much focus on the fulfillment of any dream, but including bringing our child home, uh, we can lose, lose sight of the dream giver. And when, when we focus our attention on what we're waiting for instead of who gave us that dream to begin with, God, then we can begin to idolize our adoption or our foster care journey. And that's a dangerous thing to do. I mean, it's, it's incredibly important. And, you know, I really am a firm believer in kind of the order being God, our spouse, and then our children. And 
I think that when we get that out of order, um, it's dangerous because that's not what God intends and his grace is, is sufficient always. You know, his love doesn't change, but he set certain things and certain laws in motion, including, you know, like kind of the hierarchy of where our attention and our loyalties need to lie. And when when we are not spending the time with him or focusing on him the way we should be and we shift that focus even to our spouse or to our children, then we lose sight of really our source. And since our ability to love well comes from him, if we're not <laughs> if we're not communing with him on the regular basis, then it affects our relationships. And instead of, you know, striving to be the best wife you can possibly be or the best mom you can possibly be or even just fighting to, you know, research and study and do training, you know, if if all of that takes precedence to pressing into God, then um, I think that we can we can do more harm than good um, when our priorities are, are off balance. So that's usually my what I tell people is I think the the best thing that you can do is make sure number one your priorities are straight. You're spending time with God. You're connecting with your spouse. That you and your spouse are on the same page. That you know one of you isn't pushing forward before the other one is ready. And that's huge. You know you see a lot of marriages in turmoil following adoption because it's hard. It's really, really hard, and you know, making sure that you're unified going into it is of utmost importance. And then also, you know, connecting with any other kids you've already got in your home. You know, making them a priority and spending time with them and focusing on them and having those times of connection. And then also, of course, you know, being proactive about preparing and researching and um, you know, forming a support network and those kinds of things. So basically. Instead of looking at your phone every 20 seconds to see whether or not the social worker has texted or emailed, you're spending that time, you know, being very intentional and purposeful about making connections with God, your family, your support network, and, you know, educating yourself during that time. Yeah, I think that's great advice. Uh, you've referenced a couple times something that I am really passionate about now, and you know, for no other reason other than I have a lot of things in my own life to work through. And our adoption journey has made that abundantly clear and really magnified that. And you mentioned, you know, getting really well, being your best self before you walk into this journey. Honestly, I don't even know if I would have believed someone if they had told me that. And I probably would have denied upside up one side and down the other that I even had anything to work through. Honestly, I honestly don't think I, I even thought I had stuff to work through until the last five years. But what are some things that you would recommend people kind of think through about their own stuff before they start caring for a child from a hard place? Or if you're willing to share, what are some things that you've kind of, you know, bounced up against as you've kind of walked this journey? Sure. Well, I'll share personally first. You know, for me, it was the need for approval, that really got rocked. And I knew that that was a struggle for me going into it, but I did not identify how that may play out in the relationship that I had with um, our children. And so when one of our little guys um, had some attachment struggles and made it very clear (laughs) that he did not like mommy at all, (laughs) he much preferred daddy, 
it, it created this really, I don't want to say, like, I wasn't angry, but it, it hurt very deeply. And while I think it's natural for that to hurt no matter where you're coming from, I think for me, if I had dealt with that need for approval beforehand, I wouldn't have been so upset because my worth wouldn't have been bound in how my child was responding to me. And so I had to personally work through the fact that no matter how my kiddo views me or responds to me, it's not a direct reflection of who I am, and it's not even a direct reflection of how I've treated him. It was it was his stuff. And I think that that's a really common thread for people because I think most of us have dealt with rejection in some form in the past. I think most of us have, you know, wanted to please people and make people happy. And when you live with someone and it's clear that you not only don't, you know, you don't, you don't just not please them, they really don't like you, it can be exhausting for someone who lives to be liked. And so being able to identify that as a problem that I had, because it, it, it stopped being his problem when I internalized it as my problem. Does that make sense? Yeah. Like, yeah. Well, I think he so often. didn't like me because of him, but the way I felt about it was because of me. Yeah. And I think it's so easy to take their behaviors so personally because so often because they were hurt in relationship, like you said, like those relationships, that attachment are so hard. And so, mm-hmm. especially for little people, really little people right there, the only people they have to push away are caregivers, primary caregivers, moms and dads. And moms, especially for whatever reason, we get the short end of the stick in almost every situation, I feel like. And it's just hard. I don't think I fully understood, and I think I've said this before on the show, what unconditional love really Mm -hmm. was. Because I used to think, like, I could love my kids through this. And if they did that, it would still be okay. But it is really hard to keep pouring in day in and day out to a kiddo who isn't giving anything back. Um, And sometimes it's just even giving negative things back because they're so scared. And it's so scary to be in a close relationship. And they want that control to be able to, you know, feel like they're in control because so much of their world has been out of control. And it's just, it is hard, especially when your identity is wrapped up in, you know, your kids wanting to spend time with you or, you know, wanting to snuggle you. And I mean, even on just a really stupid level, we have, um, my nephew lives with us and my sister lives with us and all the people in the house are always like, you know, running up to him and he's, He's a toddler, but he's starting to be an older older toddler, but he's, you know, squishy and lovable, and he's the youngest by far in the house, and so everyone's, like, wants to hug him and get love from him. Like, everyone wants affection from this kid, and he's getting to the point where he doesn't want to cuddle and hug so much. You know, he's a big boy, and <laughs> it's funny the hoops that we jump through to try to get his affection, um, because I think it's just satisfying. And um, so when a kiddo, especially your kiddo, struggles with those things, it's tough. It can be really tough. Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, even after having worked through and dealt with some of those things, personally, it's still hard, you know, when your kid is indiscriminately affectionate with strangers (laughs) and then turns around and, you know, it's obvious that you're, I mean, number one. And, 
that is hard. I'm not minimizing the fact that there are real challenges that that can be hurtful and painful. But I think that when we dealt with our past, then those things are situations or circumstances and not um, kind of the fabric of our lives. Instead of it being something that is, you know, running around in our mind constantly or that our heart is intertwined with or that we're, you know, in conflict about their situations that we're dealing with and kind of keeping it external instead of internal. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. And there's, there is so much good advice there. And I am in the habit now when people say, you know, oh, we're getting ready to foster and adopt to say, get in with someone really great now. Get in with someone you trust. Even if there's not, even if you don't think that there's a lot to work through right now, have someone you have someone that you trust because it's just inevitable that the parenting of kids who are hurt they have this sixth sense and they push all the buttons you didn't even know you had yeah. and <laughs> and it it can take you by surprise and it can you know catch you off guard and absolutely so yeah so thanks so much for sharing that and same thing you know whether it be approval of my kiddos or other people or abandonment. Like I think I had abandonment issues that I didn't know I had, but I felt that disapproval felt almost like an abandonment. And yeah, so for me, that's kind of where a lot of that played out. So thanks so much for sharing. So how long have your kiddos been home now, both of them? About four years and about two years. Okay. Okay. So, so where do you go from here? What's kind of been on your plate? Um, you have this blog, you wrote a book. What's coming down the line for you? Kind of where's your heart um, moving forward in terms of your writing and speaking and all of those things? Well, in April, at the end of April, I'm going to be doing a webinar um, called Foster Care and Adoption, How to Start the Journey Right. And um, it's going to be just uh, you know an hour-long kind of focus time on kind of the things that you should address before launching into this journey and how to um, spend your time wisely once you get to the point of waiting. And that's kind of in preparation of taking off an e-course that I've been working on called Preparing Your Heart and Home for Foster Care and Adoption um, because I really, like I said earlier, just feel like a disservice to families on the front end to not prepare them adequately for the um, kind of uh, challenges that await emotionally for everyone in the home. Um, and some of the things specifically would be, you know, how really to prepare other kiddos who are in your home for responding to the trauma of the children you're bringing into your home, you know, and how to um, talk to your kids, um, both biological and adopted, about their feelings and their emotions and how they're processing things, and especially for kiddos that are, you know, pre-verbal, how you help them work through things because, you know, what we see is toddlers are dependent upon their parents to help them identify what emotions they're feeling. You know, when when they, when they're afraid, they don't even understand fear necessarily. They just react in a certain way and look to mom and dad to provide the words for that so that they know how to identify their emotions. But when you have kiddos from hard places who aren't, aware of why they're feeling what they're feeling or even what they're feeling, it can be very hard for them. It's very overwhelming. 
for them to try to communicate to new adults what's going on. So in between kind of seeing adoptive and prospective adoptive and foster care parents um, experience healing in their own lives, I also am really passionate about seeing them reframe their expectations and kind of the things that they believe are going to happen. Guys and I naively did when I was listening to you talk about footsteps in the hallway and thinking, oh, that'll never be me. <laughs> I'm kind of addressing those types of situations. Um, things basically that uh, despite working with several adoption agencies for both of our adoptions and being very involved in the foster care and adoption um, workings here in the state of Delaware, I just find those certain areas to be lacking over and over again. So that's what the e-course would be addressing. Yeah, I love that. It kind of fills all the spaces of some of those things that we wish we had known before we walked into this. Um, so where can people connect with you for that inter-webinar and, and the e-course and kind of hear more about what that is and sign up if they want to? Yeah, all the information will be on my site, um, 127living.com. I'm on Facebook, Twitter, and Pinterest at backslash living out 127. Excellent. So good. Well, to wrap up, I always ask two questions. And the first one is related to social media and some of that laundry situation that we were talking about earlier. I feel a tremendous amount of pressure when scrolling through social media feeds. Instagram in particular, I love pretty pictures, but I also feel like pretty pictures of people's houses make me a little bit crazy, um, mm -hmm. or they make me feel guilty or less than, like I'm not keeping up. Um, and I don't know what these people's houses look like, you know, outside of that frame. I always assume that their whole house looks like that, um, and that <laughs> might not be that might not be true. So the next, so my first wrap up question is kind of my way to fight back against that because my biggest intention through my writing and speaking platform, my audience is definitely moms parenting kids from hard places. A lot of those are adoptive and foster moms and I want them to feel like they're not alone. I want them to feel like they're in a tribe of people who are walking right alongside there with them and that none of us have what's going on on those you know, pretty pink Instagram feeds. So my first question to you is, what are you not doing? I am not folding underwear or fitted sheets ever again, actually, never. That's a good one. Yeah, I pretty much just wrap the fitted sheet up as full as I can get it to shove it into a drawer, and that's it. Underwear gets thrown on top of the pile of the people's clothes. They can do with it what they want. Yeah, I don't know. My, I think my mom folds underwear. We again, we all live together, so sometimes laundry gets folded by, you know, random people. And her love language to me is often gifts of service. Like she'll come and you know f she'll get a load of laundry out of the dryer for me and bring it to me folded. Um, and all the underwear is always mm -hmm. folded. And I just think, really, like I, you didn't need to do that for me because <laughs> it doesn't go into the drawers that way. Yeah, and she, I'm with you on the sheets. Actually, I'm not even with you on the sheets because literally we have just enough sheets for the beds. So it doesn't get folded because it goes right back on the bed. That's the best way to do it. Then you don't have to store it either. Yeah. Um, we're really tough out of luck if something like bad happens, like a sickness or barf or something. But 
Just put a towel down. Yeah, blankets, sleeping bags. Yep. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, things come off the bed, they get washed, and then they go right back on the bed. And honestly, I can't, I can't say that we do that often. So, yeah, I'm right there with you. You will not find any judgment here. Um, so that's great. Um, second wrap-up question is hack. What is your hack that is helping you out right now? Because I feel like we can't live this life without a couple of great hacks. Let's see. I think the best life hack I have right now is um, convincing my kiddos that there are chores that are games or making them into competitions so that they're excited to help do them. Ooh, I like that one too. So what are the going competitions at your house? And did you use the Olympics to help play into that? Oh, of course. Who didn't love watching, you know, the all the, the people competing for gold medals, you know, being able to say, who's going to get the gold and, you know, sweeping today? Curling was huge. I mean, having them clean the floor now, it's, it's like a prize. Hey, you got an A on your test. You get to clean the floor. It's great. Oh, that's amazing. Curling and magic roar. Oh, oh yeah, of course. I mean, that's they're constantly genius. going up and down the floor with stuff. You know, one of them pushes something, and then two of them are sweeping in front of it. <laughs> amazing. Oh my gosh, that could be a complete podcast or blog post all by itself. Yeah, and then don't even get me started on magic erasers. Oh, yeah. They're strangely yeah. satisfying to see the transformation, you know. Kids love that. I'm like, hey, look at that baseboard. It's not white anymore. Now it is. They love it. Yeah. It would not work with teenagers. I'll throw that out there. Look, I, I you know, but you got to do what you got to do when you've got six, eight, and under. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, absolutely. So that would not work in my house. But my youngest is 11, so we're in a different stage than you. But for, yeah, for six kids, eight and under, for sure. Um, do you ever wonder what's in those magic erasers? Like, what's the magic in the magic eraser? I, so, yeah, I don't, I don't really want to know. know. No, I don't, because we're, we're really careful. Like, we don't use any chemical cleaners. That's the most unnatural thing that comes in the house cleaning. And um, I, I'm, you know, once I know I'm held responsible, I just don't want to know. Yeah, ignorance is bliss in this case, for sure. It sure is. Ignorance is white baseboards in my house, so yeah. I'll take it. Yeah, we have um, we have a kiddo when he was younger. Well, he's just our most competitive kid of the six, and that was pretty much our go-to. You know, you kind of have to, like, learn your kids. Like, some of them kind of need coaxing or, like, compassion. This kid, you just basically had to dare him that he couldn't, and that was, like, enough to get it done. Yeah. Well, and we're, then we're finding, like, for the older kids, you kind of just have to find what their lane is and then kind of, like, radically accept that that's where they're willing to help. So I have a kid who will do any of the things that include technology. So he'll install a printer, a modem. He'll fix any of that stuff. He's, like, our local help desk. But nice. I also don't, like, ask him to take the trash out. Like, he's he's, like too cool for any of that and I know I'm the parent and I could fight this battle a little bit harder but one of the beauties of having a lot of kids is you have a lot of different lanes so you can kind of start to delegate things within people's you know lanes and it becomes less of a fight so we just kind of take him we're thankful for all the things that he does and I just don't call on him to dust or mop floors yeah 
Well, that's awesome. Um, I didn't realize all your kiddos were so close in age. So now I'm more, even more duly impressed for all the things that you've got going on. Because I can tell you that when my kids were little, I was not doing any of these things, I don't think, um, <laughs> at least not well. So, yeah. Well, I don't know how well I'm doing them. I'm trying. <laughs> It's actually a lot of fun, you know, being able to work from home and homeschool, it it allows for a lot of flexibility. So I enjoy it. And, you know, a lot of the times I include them in what I'm doing and I'll run things by them. If I'm writing a post on adoption and, you know, it includes a story about either of our little guys, you know, I'll, I'll read it to them first and say, you know, what do you think? Are you comfortable with me sharing this? Do you have anything you want to add? You know, is there anything that you think mommy left out that you know, might be helpful to people. And I think the most incredible thing right now is that all six of them are wildly passionate about adoption and foster care and children being in families that love them and that are doing what's best for the child and, you know, advocating for kiddos to have what they need. And so I'm just excited to see how God uses this season of their life that hasn't been easy really for any of them. You know, none of them have had it innately easy because of, you know, the choices that our family has made to, you know, grow our family that way, but then also continue to advocate and be part of this kind of adoption, foster care world. But it's it's awesome to see kind of the pain and confusion that all of that can cause be turned into the purpose and catalyst of God's calling in their lives. Yeah, what a powerful lesson for them. What a beautiful thing to be able to teach them early on to kind of take life's lemons and make lemonade, how to try to look for that calling on their lives for whatever the circumstance can be and that the circumstances don't have to be positive for that to happen. So kudos to you for sure. Well, thank you. I'm so grateful for the opportunity to reconnect with you and just I'm so amazed by everything that you do, and I just appreciate who you are and how transparently you share, and you definitely succeed in creating that community and village for people to feel not alone. So thank you for that. Well, thanks so much, Naomi, for being here, for sharing your time, and just remember when you think that I'm doing it all, that I am not doing laundry or sheets, so... And I don't have kiddos to curl on my floor to clean it either. So there's that. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So again, thanks so much. It was really a pleasure catching up with you as well. And so I'm appreciative for your time and your heart for pre-adoptive families and pray that it all goes well and that God will really use your heart and your voice um, to prepare people because it's such a huge part of the foundation for moving forward successfully in this crazy adoption foster care situation. Thank you. You're so kind. Gosh, I'm so encouraged by Naomi's sweet voice and challenged by her to see my kiddos as blessings, not burdens. I mean, I know they are blessings in the big picture, but between you and me and the microphone, I probably treat them as burdens most days. What about you? You can reach out to me on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. I'm at M.A. Corkum, and Naomi is at LivingOut127. I'll also have a link to her book and her website where you can sign up for her upcoming webinar called Foster Care and Adoption, Five Keys to Starting the Journey Outright. It'll all be over at my show notes page on www.thecorkums.com. 
Join me next week as I welcome a former college basketball coach who didn't even see marriage in his future, let alone parenthood, but now he's a proud adoptive dad. Just hit the subscribe button on your podcast app so you don't miss it. Thanks so much for listening. I'm so glad you're here.